Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning, Emmanuel Church. How are you feeling today? It truly is a joy to be here with you today. And if this is your very first time at any one of our locations, whether you're joining us here at Greenwood or Banta or Franklin or Garfield Park, or if you're joining us at Seymour or one of our e-microsites, or if you're joining us online, we want to give you a very special welcome. Can we give it up for all of our first-time guests today? It is a big deal for you to be here, and we've prayed for you, planned for you, and uh, prepared for you. So thanks for being here. If you're not brand new, welcome back. Uh, It's so good to see you. We are in a series right now called Who's Counting? And this series is all about the idea of counting. People love to count things. Anyone out there today that if you're sitting in the doctor's office, you'll start counting the seal, the ceiling tiles, anybody? Just because you just love to count stuff. I know people that will count the, uh, the, the poles on the side of the road as they're driving down the highway just because they, they love to count things. People really do love to count. If it's out there, it's been counted. I assure you, human beings, we just do this Naturally, I, I, I saw something the other day, uh, the, a bunch of people got together and they wanted to figure out how many variations are in a, Ubi, uh, a Rubik's Cube. Um, have you ever thought about that? I never thought to count them, but someone did. And the answer is 43 quintillion variations on a, Ubi's, on a Rubik's Cube. I don't even know how they counted that. What, how many zeros are actually in a quintillion? I have no idea. People love to count stuff. The other day I saw, I saw that someone counted their counting. No kidding, no joke, seriously. The person who counted to a million the fastest, because they counted, counted to a million in 89 days. Incredible, people are counting, they're counting. I saw another group of people that did a little research they shot a satellite up into the outer space and they just because they wanted to count the cattle on the plains of Africa. And so sure enough, there's a satellite out, out there that can beam down on planet Earth and count the amount of cattle that are roaming around in Africa. People love to count. In fact, someone decided they wanted to count the bubbles on a Budweiser beer. They did. So they kept cracking the beer, the beer open and pouring it and then counting the bubbles. And they came up with this number of about two million bubbles in a Budweiser beer. Now, I'm thinking, why? Why would you take the time? Here's why. I don't know why. No, no, here's why. Because people love to count. We count lots of things. If it's out there, someone's going to count. In this series, we talked about some things that we need to count because counting is a good thing. Because when we count stuff, we get feedback. We learn about where we are. Are we making progress in life? Are we not making progress in life? Which is why some of us don't like to count, right? Because we don't want to know if we're we're not making progress. But counting is a good thing. It gives us feedback. 
But counting can also be a bad thing if you're counting for the wrong reasons, if you're counting to build your own little kingdom, if you're counting as selfish, if, if your counting is all about your glory and your honor, counting can actually be a bad thing. We saw that in week number one with King David when he counted all of the people in his kingdom, God punished him and 70,000 people died from a plague because David counted his people. Accounting can be a bad thing. How do we know when counting's good or when counting's bad? In your notes, I wrote it like this. Counting is good when we are tracking the progress that, say it with me, that God wants us to be making. God has plans for your life and he wants you to be moving forward and progressing. And when we're counting in those areas, it is a positive thing. God wants you to have a positive attitude. So we talked about that in week number one. Hopefully your attitude is increased by potentially 55%. You say, what are you talking about? You gotta go back and listen to week one. Last week we talked about counting some things when it comes to your physical fitness. We said our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. There are good things that God has planned for us to do on this planet and we have to be alive and healthy to do them. So I gave you some things to count in regards to your health and fitness, like minutes of exercise and calories and, and ounces of water. And how many of you decided to count last week? Okay, some of you did, some of you didn't. Um, uh, hopefully that will be a blessing to you if you count those things in your life physically. And so today I wanna talk to you about another area of your life that is incredibly important. It's vital. And uh, it's actually at the top. When you look at any of the New Year's resolutions lists, no matter where they are, whatever that you Google it, you look at it, the top 10, top five, there's all, this, this issue always ends up at the top of the list. And that is the issue of money. People around this time of the year say, man, I gotta get my money in order. I gotta spend less. I gotta save more. I gotta do this. Because money is important. It's up there with oxygen. Do you agree? I mean, would you be here today without money? You wouldn't, because it takes money to put gas in your car, right? It takes money to buy those clothes on your back. Like, money is very important. We just got done watching a video of how important it is to have money to give to those who need to have a Christmas in South America. That took thousands and thousands of dollars to buy presents for over a 1,000 kids in, at Exodo Church in Colombia. It takes money to live. It takes money to bless people. Money is important. Do you agree? Yes or no? Yes. The Bible does not say money is the root of all evil. It says that the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is important, which is why it's up there at the top of the list every year when it comes to New Year's resolutions. Why else is it at the top of the list? Well, it's at the top of the list because good money management requires this thing called discipline. And we don't have much of it. <laughs> when you're dealing with money, just like food, it takes a lot of discipline to get your money right. Now, you might be thinking, well, what does discipline really mean? Well, here's a definition that I think will work for you. The, uh, discipline is the ability to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done, regardless of how you, say with me, feel. Isn't that our problem? We don't feel like going to the gym, so we don't go. We don't feel like getting up in the morning, so we don't get up. We don't feel like you know, going to work, so we don't go to work. We don't feel like writing that paper, so we don't write the paper. We don't feel like studying, so we don't study. We don't feel like apologizing, so we don't do it. Isn't that our problem? We don't feel like, we don't feel like staying within the budget, so we spend it anyway, right? Managing this stuff well requires that we have the ability to do what needs to be done, when it needs to be done, regardless of how you feel. And we lack that, and so therefore, there's lots of money problems in our life. And so we got to 
make a resolution to get things right when it comes to money. Why else is it at the top of the list? It's at the top of the list because poor money, money management produces stress. People put money management at the top of their resolution list because of the stress that's caused by poor money management. When you don't get your money right, there's all kinds of pressure. At the end of the month, you're thinking, ah, oh, man, I don't have enough to pay my bills, and I owe this person, I gotta pay that, and I gotta put gas in my car, and, oh my. and there's a lot of pressure when we don't handle our money well, and so a lot of us make resolutions to get that right. Another reason why people put it at the top of the list is because poor money management causes arguments. <laughs> when there's lots of financial stress in your life, guess what? There's lots of arguing. When you look at any list out there today that talks about the top five reasons for divorce, top 10 reasons for divorce, every single one of those lists has on it arguments about money. That's tough. People get in fights. Someone spends too more. Someone doesn't, doesn't budget. Someone's not self-disciplined. Someone's hiding money. Someone put a bunch of money on a credit card, didn't tell their spouse. Arguments, 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 arguments about this thing called money. So we have to get our money right if we want to have a stress-free life. This is where Dave Ramsey just nailed it when he came up with this course called Financial Peace. Why? Because people don't have it. They lack self-discipline. There's lots of stress and there's lots of arguing. And so I want to share with you today five ideas, five things that you need to count to get your money right. And they come right from the book of Proverbs. One comes from the book of Ecclesiastes. All of them are written by King Solomon. In the Bible, King Solomon is said to be one of the wisest people to ever live. Not the wisest person to ever live because he had 700 wives. That's not very smart. <laughs> and so we can't put him up there as number one. But when it comes to this issue of money, man, he had some incredible things to say. I'm going to pull some truth out of the book of Proverbs. And I'm also going to look at one idea from the Apostle Paul in the book of First Timothy. These principles are things that my wife and I have been following for 20 years. Not 23 years. We've been married 23 years. But the first couple of years, we got this all wrong. I was making an entry salary of, of about $40,000, and we did what everybody else did. We bought the brand new house, we bought the brand new car, we had credit, credit card debt, we had student loans, and we were like, yay, I have a job. I think I was like 22 years old. Had no clue what I was doing until someone else had to step into my life and said, dude, you're broke. I'm like, what are you talking about? Look at my new car and my house and this and that. I, we were a disaster. And so it took us a couple of years to, to learn this stuff, and we've been doing it now for 20, 20 years. And I just want to share it with you. It's the wisdom of Solomon. You ready to dive in? Why would we do this? Because we've got to get our money right. Number one, what are we going to count? We're going to count money in and money out. This is the principle of budgeting. Now, I know you don't like that word budgeting. Some of you sounds restrictive. So if you don't like that word, try this out. A spending plan. Isn't that fun? That's so positive. A budget is a spend. You're telling your dollars where the, where you, what you're going to spend it on. We're going to spend it on this, spend it on this, we're going to spend it on this, right? That's what a budget is. It's just a spending plan. It's a written spending plan. You say, where does Solomon talk about that in the Bible? Great question. Proverbs chapter 27. Solomon says this, know the state of your flocks. You say, that's not a financial statement. That's a shepherding statement. <laughs> That's a farmer's statement. Hold on, hold on. Back in those days, sheep and goats and cattle, they were what? They were money, baby. This is a financial proverb. He says, know the state of your 
sheep. <laughs> know the sheep. Know it. You got to know their names. You got to know how many you have. You got to know how many are pregnant. You got to know how many are sick. You got to know how many are healthy. You got to know how you got to know the state of your flocks and put your heart into caring for them. This is the principle of responsibility. It's not a popular word today. Some of you parents today who have younger you know, adults, your children, younger children, adults here today, you're like, would you please pay attention? So important. You need to become an adult. You need to start to pay attention to this, your money. This is called responsibility. This is called adulting. This is called growing up, okay? You have to pay attention and put your heart into caring for your money. Why? Because money, riches, they don't last forever. Anybody live through 2008? <laughs> Anybody see a lot of money go bye-bye, <laughs> right? Money comes and money goes. So you've got to pay attention to it and care for it and manage it well. And the crown might not be passed to the next generation. You don't know what's gonna happen in the future. So pay attention. This is the principle of budgeting. I love, I love what John Maxwell said about budgeting. It's my favorite quote on this category. He said, a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. And far too many of us, at the end of the month, we're like looking at each other going, where did it all go? I can't believe it. We're short again. And you're shocked. Listen, when it comes to numbers and dollars, you should never be shocked. Because numbers don't lie. You track them, you write them down, and no one's surprised. Yes, this is called responsibility. This is called growing up. You with me, yes or no? 20 years ago, Jackie and I started budgeting, managing dollars in and dollars out. Second thing we need to count is the extra dollars. We need to count the extra dollars. Now, some of you are like, extra? That sounds fun. I don't have any, I don't have any right now. <laughs> some of you are like, extra? What are you talking about? There's no extra in my budget. You've not seen my expenses. Hold on, hold on. Where is the extra going to come from? It's a great question. The extra is going to come from cutting the fat out of your budget. What am I talking about? I'm talking about $6.50 lattes. I'm talking about the expensive cable package you have, and you have to have Netflix and this and that. I'm talking about, you know, the, the, the car wash monthly thing that you have to have. I'm talking about all these different things. 20 years ago, Jack and I did our budget. We're like, man... We're, we're spending all this money and all these things we don't need. So what did we do? We cut the fat. We trimmed it down. We sold everything but the children. <laughs> that was cheap. That was Dave Ramsey's joke. But it worked. It worked. No, we really did. We sold our car. We got rid of this. We got rid of that. And we cut the fat out of our budget. You say, how, how do we do this? How do we get to the point where we can cut the fat out of our budget? Well, we, we, we spend less than we make. This is the principle of, 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 of extra. How do you get extra? You basically look at your budget and you cut it down and cut it down until what you're spending is actually less than what you're bringing in. King Solomon had something to say about this. He said in Proverbs chapter 21, the wise have wealth and luxury. See, we've been taught in our culture today that the rich have wealth and luxury. Must be nice to be rich. Oh, rich folks. Oh. Some of, you, some of, us, some of us even go as far as to say, those evil rich folks, there's something wrong. They cheated the system. They got rich. And it's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible actually teaches that wise people get rich. A lot of us think that in order for me to get rich, I got to have a big salary. I got to make more money. I got to get the raise. Let's, let's fight for you know, higher wages and more, you know, more pay. That's not how a person gets 
wealthy. The Bible says the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools, they spend whatever they get. What does that mean? That means that just means that whatever comes into their house through whatever sources it is, a job or, or some other thing that comes in, they spend every dime of it. So it's money in, money out, and they're back to zero. Sometimes they're in the negative. They're overspending. Americans overspend their budget on average. But wise people don't do that. They cut down their budget to where their expenses are actually less than what they make. This, this requires something. What is this wisdom? This wisdom of the wise that builds wealth and luxury is contentment. In your digital notes, I, I jotted it down like this. The wisdom of the wise is contentment. Now, we don't talk a lot about contentment in our culture today, and maybe we don't even talk about it in church enough. Contentment in our culture today is almost like a cuss word. Contentment? <laughs> Whoa, don't say that. What does that mean? I have to live on less? Well, that's not what the word actually means. The word contentment actually means to be satisfied. The word contentment actually means to be okay with what you have. Listen to what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8. He said, so if we have enough food and clothes, be content. Now, I probably would have added in there shelter. <laughs> that would have been good. Uh, I think that's assumed here that Paul is telling him, okay, you're a house. But he's saying, okay, a house, you've got food, you've got clothing, and that is enough. Does that make sense? Contentment. See, here's the secret to our, a lot of our money issues, learning to live on less, learning to be okay with less. Epictetus was a, philosoph a philosophical, uh, um, sorry, a Stoic philosopher, and he wrote these words, wealth consists not in having great possessions, but in having fewer wants. See, the way that we move forward and make progress and create some extra, and by the way, what is extra? Extra is margin. Margin is a beautiful word. Have you ever heard it before? Margin is a, a thing that brings peace to our life. Margin is the shoulder on the side of the highway that allows you to drive 75 miles down the road, sometimes 85. <laughs> I remember when I was a young kid, uh, my mother would, would, would hate to drive off of Staten Island. Staten Island was uh, right at the most southern part of New York City, and we were close to New Jersey, and we were close to Long Island, but we were by ourselves on an island, and the only way to get off the island was the Verrazano Bridge, or the Gothels Bridge, or the Outer Bridge, or whatever bridge, or five bridges, and my mother hated driving off those bridges, and here's why she hated it as a, as a, a young woman with three kids. Because when you got on a bridge leaving New York City, you had the white line and then you had a metal cage. And there was no margin. And the other lane was a car, a trailer truck or a car. And if you went to the left a little bit or to the right a little bit, you died. I'm just kidding, but you hit something, okay? And you might die. And so because of that reason, you know, my mother refused to get on the bridge and drive across the bridge and leave New York City. And some of us are living that way financially. We're so on the ledge, there's absolutely no room and no margin. Why? Because our desires are exceeding our income. What's the secret? We have to learn to be content. That creates this beautiful thing called margin. So what are we gonna do? We're gonna count money in, we're gonna count money out, we're gonna count the extra, what else are we gonna count? We're gonna count dollars towards consumer debt. Count dollars towards consumer debt. Now, 
I am not of the opinion that all debt is bad. I do not believe the Bible actually teaches that. I believe the Bible teaches that consumer debt is bad. What's the difference between good debt and bad debt? This is a, not a financial course, so let me make this really simple. Bad debt is when you buy something or go into debt to buy something that loses value. A television, for example, or something in that category. You purchase it, you go into debt to buy it, and that thing called a liability over time goes down in value. So you lose money as you continue to pay for it. Good debt is when you buy something that actually increases in value, like a house. Now, it doesn't happen all the time, but most of the time, a house goes up in value. And even if it doesn't, you're paying down the principal, and so you're gaining this thing called equity. So that would be an asset. Now, without debt, most of us wouldn't have a house. You agree? So not all debt is bad. Yes or no? Yes or no? Okay. Without debt, we would not have a multi-site church. Okay. You understand that? We'd be one campus without, because we use debt to move the vision of our church forward. So not all debt is bad, but consumer debt is crushing. When we fill up our credit cards with stuff that's going down in value, it chokes us, and the Bible actually says it makes us a slave. Listen to this, Proverbs 22. This is from, Sol from Solomon. The borrower is the, say it with me, the, the slave of the lender. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a slave to anybody. What does that mean? That means that when it comes to money, if you have all kinds of consumer debt out there, MasterCard and Visa and American Express are telling you you can't go on vacation. They're telling you that you can't give money to your church. They're telling you you can't help a family in need or, or, or a friend who's trying to adopt a, a child. You, you can't help them because you owe us. And that's what consumer debt will do to you if you allow it, if you continue to overspend and overspend and overspend. And Americans are notorious for that. Last time I checked, the average credit card was between eight dollars and $10,000 per family. That's not counting car payments and other payments along the way. So what are we gonna do? We're gonna get some extra money because we cut the fat out of our budget and we are gonna apply it to our consumer debt. In your notes, I put a little barcode in here. This is, you can scan this with your phone. It'll take you to what I think is the best tool I've ever seen to get a person out of debt. It's Dave Ramsey's Debt Snowball. You can scan that in your digital notes or you can grab your phone right now and just scan that. It'll take you right there. Use that tool and get yourself out of consumer debt. Now, once you're out of consumer debt, we're gonna count something else. What are we gonna count? We're gonna count dollars invested. We're gonna count dollars invested. What did the wisest person or one of the wisest people in the world say about investing? In Ecclesiastes chapter 11, this is what he said. But divide your investments among many places. In other words, don't put your eggs in one basket. Take a little bit and invest in gold. Take a little bit and invest in mutual funds. Take a little bit and invest in real estate. Take a little bit and invest in whatever investments you think are good investments, but diversify them and spread them out. Why? Why? For you do not know what risk might lie ahead. You don't know if gold is going to come crashing down. You don't know if the real estate market is going to come crashing down. You don't know if what. So here, so diversify your portfolio. The Bible teaches us to take a portion of our income and invest it because here's what happens. Here's what happens. Over time, my wife and I have been doing this for 20 years now. This isn't an overnight thing or a get-rich thing, quick thing. This is a, the long game. Over time, those investments build and build and build and build, and then they start to pay you back over time. And then you end up with this thing called multiple streams of income instead of having one source 
of income. I was looking at a, an article the other day from CNBC that said that 65% of millionaires in the United States of America have three sources of income. 45% have four sources of income, and 29% of the millionaires in the United States have five sources of income coming into their home. Most Americans who are not wealthy have one. Now, when I say one, I mean one each. I know a lot of homes have two working parents when there's two incomes, but I'm talking about individuals having one source of income. And then we rely on that, and what is that called? That's called our job. So we rely on our job, that one source of income, to cover all of our bills and all of our expenses. The Bible says over time, take some of that money, 15%, 20% if you can, and diversify those investments over time so that you can have multiple sources of income. So what are we gonna do? We're gonna take the extra, from where? Where did the extra come from? It came from you getting out of consumer debt. Remember, you counted the extra dollars because you cut your budget. Then you get out of consumer debt. You're, so your student loan is gone and your credit card is gone. And that's going to be about six, seven, eight hundred dollars What are you going to do with that? Not spend it. You're going to take that $800, you're going to put it into a mutual fund, and you're going to watch that thing grow at 8% for the next 20 years, and that thing is going to pay you back so that you don't have to retire on nothing. Make sense? Yes or no? This is what we've been doing for a very, very long time, and now my wife and I have multiple streams of income coming into our home that are helping us pay for college because college is expensive. Have you checked recently? Have you checked? What it costs to send a kid to school if they don't get a scholarship? You know what I'm saying? No scholarships? You know what happens when you don't have a scholarship? You have to pay. <laughs> a lot of money. And it costs a lot of money. So you better start saving now and investing now so that when your kids are older, you have the money to pay for their college education. So let me give you this last one. What are we gonna count last? We're gonna count the dollars that we give away. Count dollars given away. This is the principle that doesn't make sense. This is the principle that requires faith. Listen to what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter three. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Now, best part biblically means your first fruits. First fruits biblically means a tenth. A tenth is called a tithe. 10% of everything that you bring in, I want you to honor the Lord with it. I want you to return it to the Lord. And if you do that, then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with new wine or good wine. What is the principle here? God's saying, hey, if you're generous, I'll be generous to you. If you open up your hands in generosity, I will fill your hands with blessing. It's just a promise that he gives. So 20 years ago, or 23 years ago actually, our founding pastor, Pastor Jim Devney, sat me down and talked me through this principle. And I was like 22 years old. And he's telling me about 10%. And I, you know, I was at that time making an int int introduction salary, very, you know, uh, under $40,000 a year. And he's talking to me about 10% 10 percent. I'm like, man, that's tough. He's, but you gotta trust God. I promise you if you do this, God will bless you. And so for 23 years, since that day, I'm so glad he challenged me to do that. Jackie and I have returned 10% back to Emmanuel Church, plus some, because nobody stays the same over 23 years, right? We grow up, we get mature, we, things change, yes or no? So we've even added some to that for the last 23 years. And God has taken care of us 
all the way through. 10% is a tithe. 7% is not a tithe. 6%, not a tithe. 2%, it's not a tithe. 1%, not a tithe. 10% is the tithe. And this is what Jesus, this is what Jesus, Jesus talked about, God talked about. Return the tithe and I will bless you. Solomon talked about it like this in Proverbs chapter 11. He said, give freely and become wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. There's five or six other places in the Bible I can talk to you about this, but the principle is clear. Open up your hands and give freely, and then guess what? Your hands are open to receive back a blessing from God. It may not come in financial means. It may come from a healthy body. It may be uh, uh, healthy relationships. It may be uh, uh, influence at work. It may be um, just that, I don't know, it could just be a great marriage. It's not always a financial return that you receive, but God promises you, if you refresh others, if you will think about others, if you'll jump in and give some money so that a thousand kids in South America can have Christmas, I promise you, if you consistently do that, I will put blessings into your hands. This is the principle of faith. And my wife and I have gone first on this to be an example to all of you and to challenge you to do that. Count dollars given away. Count dollars invested. Count the dollars that you use to pay off consumer debt. Count the dollars, uh, the extra dollars that you create, create through contentment and count dollars in and dollars out. These are the principles that Solomon gives to us. Why am I so passionate about this? I really am. Here's why, because I've lived it. I've lived it. We've taken the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University course twice because the first time it didn't work. <laughs> By the way, we have one coming up here. You can register for Financial Peace University. Just get on our website starting very, very soon. And we now have financial peace into our, in our life. Why? Because we followed these principles. And I just want that for you. I want you to be blessed in the same way that we have been blessed. So rate yourself. Each week, we've been asking you to rate yourself. Last week, I asked you to rate your health. Week before that, I asked you to rate your attitude. Right now, I'm asking you to rate your finances. Are you stressed out? Is, are there arguments? Are there, are there fights about money? Do you lack discipline when it comes to this? You can't say no to a sale? <laughs> you just spend, 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 spend all, all month long, and then you look at the, your credit card, and you're like, wow, how is that so big? Like, where are you? Are you a one, two, which is really, really poor? Or are you like a six or a seven, maybe an eight? How do we get you further than where you are? If you're a one or a two, how do we get you to a five? If you're a six or a seven, how do we get you to a nine? Which one of these things do you need to start counting? By the way, this is the long game. This isn't a get, get quick, get rich quick thing. This isn't a fast process. This is a methodical, over the long haul approach of what you need to start counting. Does that make sense? Now, this is baptism weekend, and it's kind of an odd talk to give on baptism weekend, talk about money and count this, count that. But it's really not. It's really not, because in 2 Corinthians, Paul was challenging the Corinthians to be generous financially so that their other Christians in Jerusalem could be blessed. They were a really poor group of Christians in Jerusalem. And he wanted the Corinthians to give some money to bless them. And he was using the Macedonians as an example. And then he switches to Jesus. He uses Jesus as an example to motivate them to give their money. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians. He says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know it. You felt it. 
You've experienced it. Though he was rich, now what does that mean? Jesus was never rich on, on earth. In fact, he lived as a carpenter. He had to work with his hands. He didn't have much money. At one point, the Bible says he didn't even have a place to sleep during his ministry. How was he rich? He was rich because he came from heaven. He came from the right hand of his father. He came from the glories of, of, of everything that was in heaven. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes, for me, for you, for the folks who got bat getting baptized today, for our sakes, he became poor. What does that mean? He descended from heaven to earth. He was born in a stable, born in a manger. His parents were not wealthy. He didn't grow up wealthy. He didn't have means. He had to work for everything that he had while he was alive. For your sakes, he became poor. So that through his poverty, you can be made rich. Wow. What does that mean? Well, eventually Jesus ended up on a cross. And he died a criminal's death. He took on the form of a criminal and was punished and crucified and killed so that we, you, me, could be made rich, not monetarily, not mansions and cars and nice clothes and vacations, no, rich spiritually so that we might tap into this thing called eternal life, an abundant life. What is that? That is peace and joy and freedom from the power of sin. Well, I'll just let you see. I'll just let you see it played out in a man named Steve's life. Steve lived apart from God, a poor life. And then he met Christ and he began to tap into the richness and joy of knowing Jesus. Check out Steve's story and then we'll baptize some folks. Can we just have a holy moment? Just between you and God, can I just ask you to Imagine that there's no one else in the room. If you're watching online, there's no one else there. It's just you and God. Can you imagine just for a moment like this is, this is a divine appointment. This is a conversation that he has designed between you and him. And he wants to say this to you right now. I have loved you since the day you were born. And I have sent my son to this earth for you, to purchase you, to redeem you, to forgive you, to make you one of my children. He left heaven, the riches and glory next to me. And he came to earth so that through his descending to earth and taking on poverty, you might become rich and experience true life the way it was meant to be lived. Will you come? I believe the Father would say to you these very words, I had my son die in your place to wash away all of your guilt, all of your shame, that we might be united 
in a relationship, that we might know each other and walk with each other and live with each other, that I might take my joy and my peace and put it in your heart to relieve you from the anger, the stress, the anxiety, the depression, to take spiritual life and put it into your soul. Will you receive my son today? Will you receive the gift you were made for today? All you have to do is reach out in faith and trust my son to forgive you of your sins. If you'd like to do that right now, reach out in faith. Take these words, make them your own. Just say this to Jesus. Jesus, I believe you died in my place, died for my sin. I believe you paid the price I could not pay. Canceled the debt that I owed so that I could step into real life. Joy, peace, comfort, strength, and love. And so I receive. I open my heart to you. Fill me with your spirit and make me your child. I receive you as my savior today. And from this day forward, help me to love you and follow you and become like you. For your glory and for your honor. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, our church wants to rejoice with you. Amen. If you did, if you did, we want to get you started on the right foot. We put together a little save box. We call it, that's what we call it, our save box. Inside this box, there is a Bible to get you started reading. And there's some information about our church, baptism, as you saw today, how to get connected through a small group. And there's also a gift in here to say congratulations. So if you trusted Christ today, if you would text the word SAVE to 65248, you can grab one of these at the information desk. If you're watching online, we'll send one of these to you in the mail. One more time, church, can we give God glory? Amen. Hey, before you leave, before you leave, I know we're, got, we're, we're getting ready to get out of here and you're watching online. And um, I wanna invite you back next week. We're gonna be talking about relationships. I'm telling you, when people make New Year's resolutions, at the top of the list, they always talk about, I wanna spend more time with family. I wanna improve my marriage, whatever it is. And so we're gonna be tackling some things that you can count to improve your relationships. If you know someone that's struggling in a relationship, invite them back next week. And uh, I think it'll be a real blessing. Let's pray and then we'll dismiss to the local teams. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for the wisdom of Solomon from the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. You've made it pretty clear on how we can get our money right. Just help us to follow the instructions. Help us to count the proper things. And we'll give you all the glory and all the honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right now I'm going to dismiss to the local teams. God bless you guys. See you next week. Bring a friend.